This is the Self-Help Place podcast, the show that provides real self-help for everyone. Created and hosted by Dan Dyson. Hello again and welcome back to the Self-Help Place podcast and this is episode 12 and today we're going to be talking about overworking and that's something that we've all done at one point and maybe even still continue to do but it's more about um, the bad side of overworking because time to time we do tend to overwork you know we have deadlines to hit or we've got personal projects we want to do and sometimes we can just feel a bit tired after the end of the week or at the end of the day even um, feeling like we've overworked a bit but there is a far more serious side to overworking and it causes untold physical and mental stress and long-term ill health so I'm going to start off today by um, introducing you to a new term from Japan and it's called Kuroshi now, Kuroshi is a epidemic that happens in Japan uh, since 1969, and the word Kuroshi literally translates to overwork death or working yourself to death. Now, I know here in the UK, when we're talking about overworking ourselves to death, we tend to kind of joke about it. We have quite a bad week, and well, at this rate, I'm gonna gonna die by the end of the month. But it's more of a joke, but sadly it's a reality, and it's especially a reality, a recorded reality in Japan with this Kuroshi. Now, um, what it tends to cause are things like heart attack and strokes due to stress and what's called a starvation diet. Um, so what would happen is um, these workers in Japan, they would they'd have this culture over there where the more overworked you are, the more respect you gain. I think I read somewhere that if someone were to fall asleep on the job, it's a sign of, well, it's a sign of respect because it means you're so dedicated to your job that you're falling asleep while doing it. Um, and the the bad consequences of this outlook, I mean, it sounds, when you really think about like how bad that is, really day in, day out, working yourself to death. And don't forget, most of these guys have, you know, like everyone else, they've got families to go home, they've got families to look after at home. And they would just work, 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 and they would just get so stressed out, they would they would die. They would have physical problems. So um, the International Labour Organization, there was an article they wrote about Kuroshi, and they, they did four typical cases um, that were mentioned. Um, the first one um, I'll mention, because it's the one that shocked me the most, was Mr. A, quote-unquote, worked at a major snack food processing company for as long as... 110 hours per week. That's not per month, that's per week. Remember, the legal limits for working hours here in the UK per week is 48 hours. This guy was doing 110 hours per week and died from a heart attack at the age of 34. I mean, that is no age. Absolutely no age to work yourself to death to. So his death was recognised as work-related by the Labour Standards Office. So... It, it became this epidemic and then they started to protest it. You know, the families of um, these workers who died, they started to protest no more Kiroshi. I actually watched a documentary about, as a gentleman that worked at a car manufacturing company in Japan and it was uh, it was speaking to his widow and there was just footage of him being at home playing with his daughter, but he was just, he was just too tired. He was just lifeless because he just couldn't, he just couldn't, do it anymore he just had no energy left and I think one day he got a work from um, a manager or a boss higher up and they were they were saying there was a quota wasn't reached or there was a huge mistake in the in the line which was his fault and whilst he was on the phone trying to explain himself he had a heart attack and died there and then 
because of that. I mean, over what? I mean, it's you know, a career is a is a career, yeah, and it, it's you could be passionate about it, and your work could be life saving or um, could change the world. But what point is that? If you're going to work yourself to death with it, what you know, what good is that? I mean, as obvious as that sounds, that's um, a major point. But this in Japan is quite an extreme case, um, and where it comes from, it you have to remember back in World War Two. Uh, Japan received two atomic bomb attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and it just devastated the place. Now, uh, Japan surrendered in uh, at the end of World War Two, and their country was just left devastated. So, of course, they were like, "Oh, we got to rebuild quick." So they just the whole country got together and uh, just rebuilt the place from the ground up, and quite successfully. I mean, Japan's one of the major tech uh, countries in the world. And uh, you can tell they've done a good job of it, but sadly, at quite a terrible cost to a lot of the workers. I mean, it's not it's not everybody doing it, but um, a lot of it comes down to culture, and that is the next thing I'm going to move on to. Now, overworking is nothing new. It's not. It wasn't new in Japan. It's not new in the world anyway. Um, you know, there's there's many um, areas of skilled labor where people usually work overtime so you had like sweatshops and factory it's sadly still going on today in poorer countries um because it's so poor out there in a lot of countries they they tend to work very very long hours doing the same uh work because they don't really have any choice and i actually read a source the sad the sad news about it is that if we protested and stopped these sweatshops they'd have to turn to worse forms of employment so the absolute smack on the in the face here is that if they they're working in terrible conditions and terrible hours, but that's the best choice they have, and that's sad. And hopefully, as we progress in the world, that will uh, be reduced. But uh, what I'm moving on to is about culture. So, going back to what I mentioned about the war, uh, now a lot of the world was devastated by the war. There was places like America that didn't necessarily suffer any significant loss. They had an economic boom and of course there were um there was an effect on the soldiers they lost and their families, but economically speaking, I think they were okay. But in comparison and contrast to places like Europe and, you know, Asian countries, um were devastated by the war. I mean here in the UK we were living on rations for years after the war had finished. And of course, I wasn't around then, but my uh, my granddad used to tell me stories about that. Now, here in Britain, we are quite known for being reserved. And the uh, in America, uh, they coined the phrase stiff upper lip um, for us British because um, the sign of weakness was a trembling upper lip. So if you kept a stiff upper lip, you remained unemotional and uh, resolute during hard times. And that was particularly the case in World War One. actually, um, just keeping a straight face. Now, through um, our culture developing, we've kind of broken out of that a bit more. We, bit more. we still have the stiff upper lip, so to speak, but we tend to have broken out a bit more into expressing ourselves, thank goodness. Um, so, um, But what I started exploring was Maybe this kind of maybe culture has a lot to do with us overworking because it is a crisis and it's a crisis here and it's a crisis in Japan and it's a crisis in America, but um, there's so many factors involved with that. So I want to just give that little tiny bit of history on overworking. It is something that we've been doing for a while. And it's either out of necessity in poorer countries, um, it's culture. I mean, here we have this British stoicism, which 
means we we just don't complain and we just get on with it and and things like that so you know we could be overworking and not really expressing it we're just preserved we keep it inside because we don't want to trouble anybody else um it's not always the case but it tends to be the case a lot of the time i've seen it um and also it can just be uh very poor work contracts and no legal restraint on working hours and things like that. So there's a lot of different factors. But what, what I want to move on to is really how you can find out whether you're overworking. And it sounds obvious, like I said, it could be just you a bit bit tired, a bit tired than usual. But um, the bad effects, the really bad stuff of overworking builds over time. So I want to talk a bit about how to spot that. So as much as this next point sounds like it stands from a point of culture, which it essentially does, it is something to be careful of in yourself. And the question I want you to ask yourself is this, how do you value your work hours? And what I mean by that is, do you do you take a sense of pride of how much you work per week? So if you're in a conversation with friends and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. You know, it, it was it was, it was was a good 45 hours this week or it was a good 50, 60 hours this week I did that. Do you do you identify and take pride in the fact that you are busy? Um, if you do, you're not alone. Uh, it's common among entrepreneurs mainly. Uh, it's led to a phenom- phenomenon even called busy bragging. And it's about professionals boasting about how many hours they've worked or exaggerate how many hours they work or feel or seem more important than the others. So if you are one, if you are in this category, if you feel that it is something you do take pride in and you do have that feeling, and it's okay to admit that, you know, if you do feel that you take more pride over other people because you work more hours. Be careful of that because what you can tend to do is ignore the other consequences of doing this overwork. You're just working for the sake of working hours um, and that can actually lead to less productivity. You know, you could, if you if you work too much, you're less productive than someone who works less but then does more in that time because they're able to actually uh, focus a lot more. So that's the first thing to ask yourself. Regardless of whether you feel like that or not, here are some of the symptoms you need to look out for uh, when it comes to overworking. Now, bear in mind, overworking, I'm not just talking about employment. I'm talking about things like side projects. Maybe you work full time and then on the side, you do a side project or you're doing a business on the side, um, which is absolutely normal to do and fine to do. It can even apply to family members and partners, believe it or not. You know, you, you can some you can spend too much time around people and you can feel, quote, burnt out, which is a big part of what I'm going to come on to later. So it applies to many things, not just work. So bear that in mind. It can be a whole bunch of things mixed together. So here are the symptoms you need to look out for. The first symptom I, I have already mentioned, and it is tiredness, but not just normal tiredness, chronic fatigue. So in early stages of this, you might feel a lack of energy and feel tired most days, which most people I think would consider to be quote unquote normal. But then it gets a little bit more subtle as it goes on. In the later stages, you feel physically and emotionally exhausted. Um, you just just that sense of being depleted and drained. Uh, but the I think the main thing to watch out for is that sense of dread about what lies ahead on any given day. You know those times where you when you're in bed in the morning and you're like, I really don't want to get out of bed, and not just because it's cold outside or something, but more in a sense of I physically don't think I can face what's coming today. And we all have moments like that, but when you start to get that on a daily basis, something's wrong. So that is the very first thing to look out for. So be aware of that. 
Um, also, in a, in a con strange contrast to this, it could be insomnia. So you might have start having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep a couple of nights a week or so. And then again, like chronic fatigue, it gets a bit more subtle in the later stages. So it then turns into persistent nightly ordeals where no matter how exhausted you are, you just cannot sleep. That's, an, that's the other warning sign. You don't notice with the symptoms, we're going through beginning stages and later stages because the beginning stages is where you can really catch it, but the later stages is when it needs solving. So it's prevention and then cure, um, I like to think of it. The next thing to look out for is forgetfulness, impaired concentration and attention. Now, lacking f lacking focus is very, very common. I mean, um, just this morning, I'm, I'm studying... Uh, so web development and I needed a coffee just to get me through because I'm just having one of those days where I just can't pay attention or just like follow detail like especially in web development you have to be very very careful and with attention to detail and you'll be stuck on a problem for hours and you're just missing one semicolon from a piece of code so it's totally normal to have that um, lack of focus and sometimes forgetfulness but be aware that these can actually be signs of overworking or burnout because in the later stages you can get to the point where you just can't get your work done everything starts to pile up you're forgetting everything and it just becomes a bit of a mess and this is something I particularly relate to this is one of the early signs for me and it was hard because when you're exhausted and forgetting things you tend to beat yourself up a little bit more and you get a bit more agitated which is something I'll move on to the next thing to look out for is general physical symptoms so and these can get very, very serious. So I think if you spot any of these, uh, is to get help right away. So these uh, include things like chest pain, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, gastrointestinal pain, dizziness, fainting, uh, or headaches. Um, so get medical attention if you are if you are experiencing that. So go to your doctor, um, or even in if you're getting really bad cases, you know go go to emergency treatment. You know, it's uh, physical symptoms and not something you'd ever joke around with or ever ignore. And I find that can be particularly the case here in the UK. Um, back to that stiff upper lip thing where, you know, you have an issue and nope, don't want to make a fuss about it. Don't want to go to a doctor. Just go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just, just, just go because we're getting to the point where we just can't ignore these symptoms anymore and there's all sorts of stories about people ignoring these symptoms and then it comes out to be something much worse so it really isn't a big deal to go to the doctor I mean at least in my country anyway um, so always pay attention to that and act on it next thing I want to mention is is kind of related but it's more increased illness so because you're so depleted your immune system becomes weakened so you're more vulnerable to infections colds in particular flu and speaking of flu at the time of recording is still the coronavirus lockdown on, and the general pandemic around the world so of course it's more important than ever to not overwork because of that reason um, so just be aware of that it can harm that as well Next is loss of appetite. Now, early stages, late stages again. In the early stages, you just don't feel hungry. You might skip a few meals. I mean, when I mentioned the Kiroshi in Japan, uh, it's starvation diet. So fasting, really. And a very, very common meal to skip is breakfast. I used to skip that all the time. And there's a difference between fasting for health and fitness reasons and fasting because you're too overworked and are just 
not hungry or you just can't be bothered and you just want to skip it. So just be careful of that as well. Because in the later stages of loss of appetite, it can lead to just you skipping meals altogether. And that's when it gets very, very serious. You find you just don't feel like eating ever. Thankfully, I only had that one time. I remember I just didn't want to eat all day. It was horrible. I just felt numb. I just didn't want to eat. I just, it, it is horrible. And that is actually quite obvious. And you, you know it's a problem, but you tend to kind of hide from it or stick your head in the sand and don't really want to tell anybody because you're worried about how they judge you which is something I'll come on to later on in this episode Um, so be aware of that so you start losing a significant amount of weight you might notice this in other people as well now when I mention these symptoms not only look out for them in yourself but with other people as well um, and advise them just to get help straight away Next stage is something I totally relate to, which is the whole reason I started this uh, podcast and blog and website, The Self-Help Place, in the first place, and that's anxiety. Oh, the joys. Um, So early on, you may experience mild symptoms like, well, tension, worry, just being on edge, you know. I often found that work would just be on my mind even after I left the office and, like, still four hours later, I'm just sat at home still worrying about it and it's horrible because you don't want to worry about it but you can't help yourself and that is something to watch out for um as you move closer to this overworking and the burnout feeling of burnout the anxiety can just get so bad that it just generally interferes in your daily life you just can't do things like you used to be able to do uh, you can't work productively anymore Um, it causes serious problems in your personal life. It was the strangest feeling for me when it got to that stage of anxiety for me because I felt like I was still making the same amount of effort I was at work before where I got good results for, but then my work just kept failing and failing and failing and in turn it just made me more anxious and it made me more anxious. It was just a vicious cycle um, and that that's the point you just need to stop everything and go get some help because if you just do what I did and just you know, ignored it or just didn't talk to anyone about it. It just continues and just gets progressively worse because the longer you don't treat it, the worse it gets. Uh, it just builds and it's absolutely horrible. And it causes problems in your personal life. Um, relationships are very, very difficult at that point. You find you just don't you just don't feel anything. And even if it's nothing to do with the partner, you just don't feel anything. Like, and it has all sorts of problems all around that area of life and it is just a nightmare so if you start that again gets quite obvious after a while it just hit you it builds up over a while and you don't really notice it but you do know when it hits when it gets to that point you do definitely know and you know it's time to do something about it so but like I said prevention is better than cure so if you start getting these early symptoms of tension and constant worry uh, go do something about it The next thing is anxiety's evil twin brother, I like to call it, is depression. Now, early stages of this, you may feel mildly sad and occasionally just hopeless, and you just may experience feelings of guilt and worthlessness as a result. I find depression is quite misunderstood. Even I don't fully understand it at this point. It's something I'm really looking into myself. Um, It's very misunderstood as just being sad all the time, you know, that it's... It's very hard to describe. I only had it borderline depression as quoted by uh, the therapist I worked with. Um, and it's it's the weirdest feeling ever. You can't physically imagine it. It's, it's not necessarily a feeling of sadness and like sorrow and despair. It's more of a, 
a strange kind of numbness. Like you're just covered in this black cloud all the time. And it just, you're just unable to feel like anything's worth it anymore. Um, and I remember actually reading about J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series. And there is a series of, well, I don't know if you call them characters, but they were um, things in the books called uh, Dementors. And they were actually written into the book as her experience, uh, the author, J.K. Rowling's experience of depression. And I remember Ron Weasley, one of the characters, saying, it was weird, though. I felt like I'd never be cheerful again because what they do is they feed on the happiness of these characters and they suck the happiness out of them. They feed on it. So you just feel like you'd never be cheerful again. So it's it's a very, very odd sort of feeling. Um, at Depression's Worst, though, uh, you just feel trapped and severely depressed and think the world will just be better off without you. Um, that is the another point. I mean, all these points you need to seek help for, but there are a few on this list, like the physical symptoms, like uh, things like anxiety. With depression, it's when you get to the point where you just feel there's no hope at all. And at that point, you need to talk to somebody. And just to remind you, the solutions are things I'm going to go on to later on. Uh, so with all these folks, don't worry. It's If you're feeling all of these right now and you're thinking, oh, no, I, I just need to... Don't worry, there is help and there's solutions out there. There's plenty of people, organizations, charities, everything that are out there to help you and even people close to you. You know, you'll be surprised at the family and friends that are out there who you would never think would be with there for you in the time of need, but they actually are. So it's something I'll go on to. So don't despair at this point. Um, I'll continue with other things to look out for. And we'll go into that a little later on. Okay, next we're going to talk about anger. Now, irritability was a big one for me. The slightest thing would just do my head in. I, I seem to remember just anything from a contact lens not quite going in, which is irritable enough on its own, to dropping something on the floor. Your reaction's just over the top, which is quite funny when I first started getting really irritated by the slightest thing, it was it was almost funny that I was getting so annoyed over such a simple thing. But again, that's what you need to look out for. Because in the early stages of anger, it's irritability. Also, it's interpersonal tension and irritability. You might find that your partner annoys you just that little bit more. And it's probably nothing to do with them. It's more because you are more irritable in general. So just look out for that. Now, in the latter stages of anger, it turns into quite serious stuff, actually, and it, it can be very, very dangerous. It turns into angry outbursts, serious arguments at home and at work as well. Um, that alone is enough to get some help for. But in the worst case scenario, you start to turn to thoughts of acts of violence towards family or co-workers. As soon as that happens, go get some help straight away. The, the weird thing about anger is, you ever had it where, I don't know, you, you're stuck in traffic or you get angry at someone and you have this little outburst and they apologize and, and then later on you calm down and you you feel, that was a bit stupid of me really. And you, you're kind of embarrassed. You kind of feel, why did I get so annoyed at that? Oh, just embarrassing. And the thing is, when you're in that rage, when you're in anger, there is nothing more you want to do than just get your fix. It's almost like a drug. You want to just release that anger and you want to tell someone as it is. You know, you fantasize things. You want to just walk up to your boss and go, you know what, this is how it is and this is what you're doing and this is why, you know, I don't deserve this treatment. You fantasize about it, but the reality is actually way different. As much as your mind can convince you certain actions 
are better than others, so to speak. I think you know what I mean in general by terms of that in regards to anger and violent outbursts. Um, it is very, very rarely, if ever, the answer to anything. And it can land you in a lot more trouble than you think. Think about it. One angry outburst of violence can cause, well, consequences that are way far-reaching. So, you know, we're talking court, jail, um, things like that. And, you know, you'd still be paying for that mistake years down the line for something you've calmed down about 15 minutes after it happened. Does that make sense? So it's not worth it. And it, it you cannot act on it because if you act on it, that's it. You know, who knows? When, you, when, when people are in a rage, you can't underestimate what they can do. And that's why if it gets to that point where you are just feeling that sense of violence or anger, you have to stop that, you know, because domestic violence is absolutely awful. And I mean, workplace violence is as well, but domestic violence tends to be more reported at the moment. But any kind of violence like that is just terrible. And before you get to that point, you absolutely must go get some help. So that is anger. Now, I will talk about some of the more subtle signs of burnout and again these applied very much to me and actually I, I would say these are the reasons I didn't really spot this burnout at first so I'll, I'll quickly go through these before we move on to solutions so the first one is loss of enjoyment I mean it seems mild at first you have days which are just bad and you know you love what you do but you just you just can't you just hate it some days that's absolutely fine but when it just when it not only starts with work every day, it also extends to everything else. Your hobbies you just don't enjoy as much anymore. You don't spend as much time with family or friends because you you just don't enjoy that anymore. And it's very, very normal to associate that with the people themselves. But actually, um, in a lot of cases, it tends to be your own burnout. It tends to be your overexhaustion. And you just cannot feel that enjoyment, so watch for that. Also, ideas of escapism. Um, I had a lot of that actually, like there was this very, very serious thought in my mind at one point of just leaving work one day, going to the airport and flying somewhere. And as funny as that sounds, that was actually a serious thing in my head. I just wanted to do that. And I was, I was almost daring myself to do that. I was like, yeah, go on, that'd be great. You know, fly out to the Bahamas or something and then just have a cocktail and all my problems would be solved. But I am so glad to this day I didn't ever act on that um, because that would have just been, yeah, that just, that just wouldn't have worked out. Uh, as as obvious as that sounds. Next one is pessimism. Now, everyone has different views on this. You know, some people see the glass half full. Some people see the glass half empty. And that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong of the, uh, with that. But um, there's a different kind of pessimism I'm talking about. It's when it comes to constant negative self-talk all the time. And it's moving beyond that glass half full, half empty attitude. It's it's going to bad self-talk um, and it can turn into trust issues uh, with family members and co-workers and just feeling that you can't count on anyone and that probably would lead to paranoia. And yeah, they're, they're, again, the bad signs of that constant bad self-talk was a big one of mine um, and it can also lead to lack of trust as well. So watch out for that. Next one is isolation. And I don't just mean the social distancing we're doing at the moment in... Um, this lockdown, hopefully that's over soon. But I mean, socializing isolation. Um, and a very, very common category is, well, 
I say category, the category is what you don't feel a part of anymore. You know, you used to be in with your friends or in with your family and then you start to feel just a little bit isolated. You have conversations where you start to sink into your head. You've had those moments where, you know, you're at the pub or bar or restaurant with your friends or even just out with them and they're all talking and a weird kind of thing happens. You start to get in your head a bit and you start to feel this really deep-seated, really down, depressed feeling that maybe these... I don't belong with these guys anymore, or maybe I've outgrown these guys, or, or something like that. And it starts as a very mild resistance to that socialising. You don't want to go out to lunch, you close your door occasionally to keep others out, totally normal. But in the latter stages, that can turn to um, a very famous hatred of people. Now, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I just hate people. That's more of a jokey way of just, you know, you don't want to deal with traffic, or you don't want to deal with lots of people, and that's normal. But when it gets to the point where you actually just get angry when someone speaks to you or you come in early to work or leave late to avoid any kind of interaction but you just cannot stand people and it turns into that deep anger that's the point you need to be very very careful not to reach and if you do reach it there is help out there to help you with that um and the final um big point really is detachment and it's kind of um, describing what I've already touched on when it came to isolation is that feeling that you feel disconnected from others or you're from your environment. Um, this is something I relate to a lot. I do sometimes get feelings like this, and the first thing you've got to consider is your environment. You know, um, who are you surrounded by? Are you surrounded by loving friends, loving family, and good people to be around? If you, if you are and you are still feeling that disconnectedness and you feel totally alone that's a bad sign. And that comes from my own personal experience. Um, but also just make sure you're not surrounded by people who, well, how can I say it on this podcast? Um, there's multiple things to call people you don't get along with. But yeah, I'll put it I'll put it that way. That's nice. People you don't really get along with as well as others. So um, if it might not necessarily to do with yourself is what I'm saying. It might be to do with your environment. You might just need a switch of environment. But when it comes to feeling detached from your environment, uh, from removing yourself emotionally and physically from your job and other responsibilities, calling sick often, stop returning calls, emails, come in late regularly. That form of detachment is what I'm talking about. It's when it gets to that point where you just you just don't want to be a part of anything anymore. You just, you're just done with it, really. Um, and that kind of ties in with hopelessness. You know, there's that horrible, horrible feeling of what's the point? Um, and, you know, I... I've talked about this, I think, before. Um, there's a blog post I wrote about it, um, about the downward spiral of suicidal thoughts that they can start to pop up then. It, it's a very, very weird phenomenon that it just comes into your head as maybe the world will be better off without you. And that's a very, very... You have to be careful of that and watch out for it. It's very normal for um, suicidal thoughts to come up in your life. Um, in fact, I think I read somewhere that most people in their life have some kind of suicidal thought at one point. And the thing is with thoughts, thoughts can sometimes just be weird and mean absolutely nothing. I've had plenty of those and I think everybody I know will have had plenty of those as well. But when it gets to the point where you start believing these things, yeah, that's when you need to get help. Okay, so now you've heard some of the major symptoms of being overworked and just being burnt out in general. Now we're going to go on to how we can look to stopping those things before they happen or if they have happened, how to resolve them. The very first thing is, again, I always like to point out obvious things on this show, 
um, the very first thing is to look at your own life. And I don't just mean just think in your head. I mean, physically just write down what it is you do not like. What is it? What are your symptoms? You know, um, and you can look them up online and be careful where your sources are. The source I'm looking at today with these symptoms are from Psycho Psychology Today, which is a very, very big and popular um, online magazine um, for all things psychology. Um, and it's written by a lot of uh, very, very uh, knowledgeable people. Um, in the world. So it's something I tend to trust. And again, from reading what I've just read out to you, um, these are symptoms that I've actually all felt. And it's something that is horrible. And it's something I've been through. So I, it's coming from personal experience as well from what to what, what to kind of watch out for. Okay, so, um, so write down what it is that you, what your specific symptoms are and what you think they relate to. So if I was going to go with my example, I had a feeling of well, anxiety was one. I had a job where, I mean, to other people, it might not have been high pressure, but in my mind, it was. You know, I was dealing in finance and specifically debt and bankruptcy and that kind of thing, you know, and it's it's not for everybody. You know, it is for some people are amazing. There were people in my office who are absolutely incredible people to work with, um, but it's just simply not for everybody. Um, some people are more prone to... Uh, clientele and people who are generally vulnerable, vulnerable, uh, vulnerable, yeah, vulnerable people, I can't even say it. Um, so it, what, what it did for me is that it made me very anxious, um, where I started worrying about it every day, didn't do anything about it, bringing it home, going back to work again, worrying about it some more, where my life was just 24-7 show of anxiety. And, and then that's when it progressed to the point where the anxiety actually stopped me from doing my work as I normally would. And I, I did a contrast between the current year and the, the previous year, and I was doing the same effort. I was putting the same effort in. I just couldn't do it anymore. And it's the strangest thing um, to feel that way. But again, that is when it's it's just gotten to that point where you've gotten to those later stages of anxiety, and that's when you need to start getting um, some serious help uh, for that. But that's just one example. Every single person on this planet is different and you might have burnout in different ways. You might be experiencing different symptoms and things like that. So that's the first step. The second step is to speak to somebody. Now, you will find this a lot in a lot of the mental health awareness talks and things like that, which is brilliant. It's exactly what people need to do. And it is. I understand personally exactly how hard it is to talk to anyone about this. It took a lot of courage for me to speak up um, because I guess we, we fear being judged. We fear being put in this category where uh, we can't, especially in England. I don't know how it is in other countries, but in England, for me... I kind of picked up on this culture of, again, back to the stiff upper lip and I shouldn't be bothering anybody and I don't want to look a certain way. And it's it's bogus. It's absolutely bogus because imagine a friend, you know, who was, you know, it was a good friend of yours and you didn't think anyone was going on, they were happy and stuff. They came to you and says, I'm, I'm really not well at all. Are you going to think, oh, <laughs> you're one of those, I'm going to put you in that category? No. You think, oh, let me help, you know, what can I do? I feel so terrible. You feel worried for them. You want to you help them. And that's exactly the case. And it's I've been amazed, even people in my old work and my, my family and my friends, people I think who wouldn't really be there, I guess, like they didn't seem to have, quote unquote, that caring personality type where they would actually care. Um, people surprise you. You'd be amazed if you actually sit, sit down and talk to people you trusted 
You know, it, it has to be someone you trust. And you talk to them about this, you'll be surprised about how many people are not only willing to help, but have actually been through or are currently going through the exact same thing. And when I first started, quote unquote, coming out with what I was going through, I was actually shocked to find out how many people were suffering from the same thing and still not talking about it. And actually, it can be a help and a relief to other people if you confide in them. They can go, oh, I thought it was just me who was feeling this horrible way. Like, you start to feel a bit down about yourself and you get in a cycle of, oh, I can't I can't cope with life or I can't do this, I'm useless, I'm hopeless. Just stop all that. Like, so many people feel that way. And this is why it's important to talk to people you trust. Once you've got the emotional support and got it out there, the next person or people to talk to are the people who are involved in or in charge of the very elements of the cause of your burnout. So to put it in plain English, I mean, let's say your work, your employment is what's burning you out. You're not enjoying your career. Maybe there's actually specific things about a job that you just cannot cope with anymore. That's when you need to speak to your boss and managers. Very easy for me to say, but I understand a lot of people, including myself, can be very reluctant to speak to bosses and managers, especially if they are, well, I'd say tyrants, people who are just not easy to get along with, people who are, they're more boss than leaders. Um, but all that aside, uh, it is it can be very difficult to bring yourself up to talk to management because you, you, you get worried about your job and what will happen to you. But I want to say don't worry about that because that's exactly what I worried about. Um, I was experiencing, when I first started experiencing o- OCD symptoms, I was looking to get, well, a diagnosis of what was going on. My bosses were onto me because my work wasn't satisfactory anymore because I just lost all confidence in my work and due to my high anxiety, I just couldn't do the job anymore. Um, and I finally... I felt like, although we all have a choice with everything, I felt like I had no choice but to just say, look, I'm sorry, but I think I'm I think I'm not well at the moment and I just need some time, I need some help. And it's amazing how much my, my team leader was very, very understanding. And I thought that was fantastic. I mean, oh, they're willing to help. But what people don't realise is, and this is something I didn't know at the time, you do have a particular set of rights at work, you know, and it's important to note that if you are struggling, if you tell your managers and boss, their job is to help you perform the best you can be, essentially. Now, I know there's a lot of offices where they have terrible, terrible management. I, I totally understand that, but all you have a right to be, you know, to be happy at work and to be as productive. And if you go to a manager with the attitude of, look, my I cannot physically do the job I can do anymore because I am currently suffering. So I'm currently trying to find help and would like a solution. Maybe you just need some time off. Maybe you need assistance at work. Assistance of work is what I actually got. My team leader was very, very understanding and very good, actually. Um, and what happens is, you know, the, the things that were causing me burnout at work, We you have like a meeting where you discuss what it is that's you know that's causing you issues and you honestly just say look i'm i'm struggling with this and that and it causes me a lot of stress um until you get yourself better they can actually reduce your work duties whilst you get your treatment and get better and you do reviews and things like that and i'll tell you something that had a huge impact on me in a, in the best way possible that helped me more than i could even describe just having that it's okay we understand what you're going through 
we're going to just make your life a little bit easier while you get sorted. To me, at that time, that was just enough for me to concentrate on getting better, going through therapy and things like that. So um, be aware of your rights, people, as they say in, well, not to go, I'm not turning this into a political podcast, but, um, you know, you do have rights at work. I mean, I don't know how it works in other countries, but check your rights. In in Britain, we do have rights um, specifically to do with work and mental illness. Um, so just be aware of that. And if you're not sure, just if you ha- if you do have a boss or manager, you feel you can just take aside for five minutes or put, go into a uh, arrange a small meeting and just discuss your issues. Because again, their jobs as managers is to help you out. And of course, you're protected by certain discrimin- discriminationary rights, if that's the right word I'm using there. Um, so again, just be aware of that as well. The final part of the solution is once you've got your emotional support once you've got your work support or whatever support you need, it might just be a partner that needs to support you. It might just be a family member that needs to support you. Once you've got the help from other people you need, you might need to call Samaritans to help you deal with things like suicidal feelings or you might need to get in touch with your doctor to get that sorted. Um, your circumstance may be very, very different. I'm going on what my experience um, has told me and what has worked for me as well. So once you've got the help that you've needed from people, um, you then start to look after your own health. So, you know, is your career really worth it? If you're really if you're really suffering, if you really hate what you do, maybe it's time for a career change. And don't be afraid of that. It's, um, it's a very new thing now to go through career changes. It's absolutely fine. And I think, you know, employers are more happy to take on people who have took action on their lives and have gone forth into studying and took the courage to go and do something else than someone who's kind of not really done anything because they've been too afraid and stayed in the same place all their life even though they hate it um at least in my experience anyway um it depends but um i think i think it's fine to make a change for your life if you're really suffering what's the point because then what happens is you're just getting paid to live a life you hate and it's what's the point what is the point so find out what it is that needs to change. And once you've found that out, then your health just look after in general. Make sure you get your exercise in. Um, if you have trouble sleeping, try it aids for that. I mean, be, be careful if it comes to things like drug and, drugs and prescriptions. I can't talk about that. It's something I don't really have experience with. But um, get your exercise in for sure. That really helped me, actually. Um, it actually helped me sleep more. Um, because your body was moving, you're getting energy out. Um, make your make time for yourself. You are just as important as everybody else, and it is very common to neglect yourself. So I'm going to say that again. You are just as important as the happiness and well-being of everyone else. So make time for you to chill out, <laughs> if you like. Um, make sure you have that time every day. And if you have people in your life complaining that, you're making time for yourself, then you need to really reassess those relationships. And as harsh as that sounds, if you have people in your life that are not letting you be the happiest you can be, who are true people in your life, true partners, true friends, are people that want your happiness and their happiness above all else, you know? And if you told a good partner or a friend that you were suffering and needed time alone, they would give you that, you know? And they would have to because you know, you deserve it, like, at the end of the day. So be cautious of toxic people. And that's another big subject, uh, which I won't be going into today in today's podcast, as we're nearly at the end of this one now. 
Um, but you that's that's again that comes into the issue of what's causing this burnout is it people is it employment things like that but make sure you provide time for yourself and sometimes in your head you'll feel no I got to get on with this screw all that make sure you make time okay nothing nothing is more important when you are not feeling right when you're feeling ill when you're going through a really hard time going through grief whatever it is you need to make time for yourself you are just like I said I'll repeat it again, you are just as important as everyone else. It's a very important thing to remember. Okay, so in conclusion to this episode, um, overworking is very, very common. It's been in our history. Uh, in some cultures, it's more prominent than others. Uh, but it's you have to have a systematic approach to this. Look out for those signs and symptoms I've mentioned. Um, prevention is better than cure. If you're starting to feel these things mildly and you're worried about them, um, Go do some research. Go get some help. Talk to someone you trust. Um, you don't want them to get... Uh, trust me, you don't want them to get as bad as they got for me. Believe me, <laughs> you don't want that um, scenario. And even if it is, even if you are going through actually a really bad time, if you are sitting there and your life is just... You feel like your life's falling to pieces, there is hope. There's always hope. And even even in the most hopeless state, and I've I've been through a few of those, and you just feel there's nothing you can do about your circumstances. There is. That's your own limitation of what's going on inside your head telling you that there's nothing else. But there is. All you have to do is to take a step off that bed or couch or whatever you can't get out of or reach for a phone call somebody call help there's a samaritan's hotline which i will uh, post as part of this podcast you can get in touch with and they can step you put you in the right direction uh, essentially so look out for the signs and symptoms when you spot them get the help you need um, assess your life see what the symptoms are see where they come from and then make the steps towards changing those particular elements Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Um, as I always mention, I do these podcasts every Tuesday and Friday. The next podcast will be on Thursday. I'll have my regular guest Dave Norris back on the show to, to uh, provide some many insights and to um, to provide me with someone to talk to rather than just talking to myself in the microphone. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so you got that to look forward to on Thursday. I'll be posting that probably Thursday evening or Friday morning. Stay tuned. All sorts of things in the works at the minute, which I'm um, looking to get finished ASAP. So if you haven't subscribed already, go to theselfhelpplace.com and you will see a little pop-up subscribe form. And even there's a bar at the top of the website where you can enter your email. And I'll send all this new lovely content directly to you. So thank you for now. Take care of yourselves and bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. Please visit the website theselfhelpplace.com for more information.